What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well, as well as the, the real deal cocktails, mimosa flights and all the goods. So come on out for brunch or come out in the evening for the new warm weather cocktail menu featuring lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, tons of outdoor patio space and good eats. Big thanks to Produce Row Cafe for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's do it. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support the podcast in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the sustainability and the growth of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. 
If you're not listening on Apple, just go ahead, click, like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. The podcast is available on Spotify now. If that is where you dig listening to things, I've also been dropping some monthly playlists on Spotify every first of the month. And that September one is now available. I will put the links for those things in the episode notes, along with the links for the Dan Cable Presents mugs and t-shirts. Stoked to get into episode 272, Colin Robeson, a.k.a. Brother versus Robot is on the podcast. Colin is a Portland, Oregon-based musician, and we had this conversation a couple weeks ago. It was my first time getting the opportunity to really hang out with Colin. I had met him a couple months ago at a show that he was playing, but uh, this was our first real opportunity to chat it up, and that we did. We talked for a long time. We talked for about 90 minutes on the podcast and probably talked for at least another hour when we were done. We just kind of seemed to hit it off quickly and really appreciated the the conversation that we had and just feeling pretty grateful for uh, making, I feel like, a, another friend just from doing this podcast, and that has really been the the cool thing and, and kind of the joy of, of doing this thing over the years. And I'm very surprised, I guess, by how many genuine connections or friendships that have been created from, from just doing this thing uh, aside from having the opportunity now to chat with some of my favorite musicians over the years. The, uh, the friendships that I've made through this thing has been really fucking cool. So, Thanks to Colin for giving me some of his time and, and talking with me. He plays some music live at the end. Colin has been diving deep into this electronic world the last couple years with this Brother vs. Robot project. So I kind of had him give give me a rundown before he played the episode out with some music. So there's a little education involved at the end of the conversation as well, which hopefully will come across cool still just in this audio format but nonetheless he'll he'll play some tunes to play the episode out so it was nice to kind of have a live performance on the podcast it's been a long time since something like that has happened and uh we'll get into the episode momentarily like i said this is like a 90 minute chat or so so i don't want to take up too much time up top i do want to hit the listeners here if you are a portland oregon local i want to hit you with some calendar dates going on at produce row every wednesday night from 6 p.m to 8 p.m there's free music there as well as every sunday 1 p.m to 3 p.m and this coming sunday september 12th there's actually going to be music going on till 5 p.m so 1 p.m., David Pollock, former guest of the podcast, great singer-songwriter, will be playing a solo set at 1 p.m., followed by a DJ set by myself. I will be DJing from 2 p.m. to 3.30, and then we're going to have special guests performing from 3.30 to 5. So free music going on 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., down there at Produce Row, it's the uh, it's the Portland Night Market weekend, so it should be uh, should be a good time down there. And then September fifteenth, 
Fox and Bones are going to be there. Folk duo. And the 19th, we have the guest of this episode of the podcast, Brother vs. Robot. He'll be down there doing a set from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. And then September 22nd, got the Jack Maybe Project. I had Jack Maybe on the podcast maybe two, three years ago now. So they always put on a great show. So I'm excited for that one. And plenty more music going on. Produce Rail. I'll put the link for them in the episode notes as well. The Instagram handle. You can check out the stories for finding out who's playing on a weekly basis. Or uh, they've got the calendar on the website there. So this is a great opportunity to bring kids out to music as well. And these are all happening outside outdoor patio situations. So if you're not stoked about hanging out inside yet with all the COVID shit still going on. Yeah. Come check out some music. Speaking of music, I went to Sacramento this past weekend to hang out with some friends I hadn't seen in a long time. And that was really cool. Really great. We planned the trip around this Jimmy World show that was going on out there. Jimmy World is one of my favorite bands of all time. And uh, great to see some childhood friends and see that show. I uh, I didn't know how much I, I feel like I needed that experience. And for as much anxiety as, as I had maybe the day before about being in a crowd of folks, I... Uh, as soon as I got in there and they started playing, I was I was released of all that and just had such a great time. And man, Ace of Spades staff and, and kind of your, your general service staff right now, hats off to you for having to be the fucking mask patrol and uh, deal with all this shit going on right now. I can't tell you how many people I watched security or just a staff member of Ace of Spades there in Sacramento have to tell people to put their masks on and and just be a babysitter for that shit is just it's rough. It's rough. It's not great, but the show is incredible. Jimmy World is amazing every time that I've seen them. That's probably around the fifth now and uh couldn't have had a better group of people to to get to experience it with and uh stoked to see some more music tree fort is ahead in a couple weeks pumped about that got some great interviews already lined up for that i think that there's going to just be months of uh tree fort coverage after after that festival so that'll be really cool to connect with some bands in person and some bands from all over the united states of all genres so that is to come i uh on the recommendation of my buddy bert who's going to be out at tree fort with me i've been diving into this dark side of the 90s series which is on vice i found it on youtube um and it's it's really great so far if uh if you're into doc series and and just want to you know go into that 90s rabbit hole of of some of the stuff you might have missed especially for me as a kid i grew up in the 90s i was born in 85 so some of the stuff i remember but some of the stuff i wasn't really old enough to comprehend what was going on i just watched the viper room episode and to find out what kind of a safe haven Johnny Depp built there for celebrities to kind of get away from 
everything going on in Hollywood in some ways was really interesting. Very great episode. Looking forward to getting into more of those. I just saw Candyman last night. That was my first movie experience in probably two years of actually going to the theater. The Laurel Thirst. Laurel Hurst, rather. Not the Laurel Thirst. That's a a, uh, a bar slash uh, music venue establishment here in Portland. But the Laurel Hurst Theater in the Laurel Hurst neighborhood is... Uh, a cool spot, and I saw Candyman, absolutely loved it, thought the social commentary in that movie was great, and uh, pounded home some some solid points with that one, so uh, yeah, that's what's happening over here, I hope everybody is uh, staying sane out there in this overwhelming world, and finding ways to keep your head above the water, finding good folks to uh, surround yourself with, and keep you sane. I'm going to waste no more of your time here in this introduction, and we are going to dive right into my conversation with Brother vs. Robot. All the links for Colin will be in the episode notes. Let's do the damn thing. Other than that, yeah, man. Cool. We can jump into it if you're all ready to do so, Colin. I'm so ready. Well, I'm... uh. I'm excited for this one. I feel like you're you're about to provide some education about all of these electronic gadgets that uh, are surrounding you right now. And if anybody <laughs> has seen any of your, your video content, there always seems to be uh, many different things going on with oh, yeah. all of the uh, all of the production and, and music that you're making uh, with this brother versus robot stuff. So I'm yeah. excited to I'm excited. To, to talk about that stuff and i'm glad i got to see one of your live sets at, at produce too just to get some more context oh, for yeah, man. thank you for having me yeah like, at produce and uh, on this podcast too i think it's exciting to get to see this stuff performed live yeah. and with that sort of visual and i know this this podcast is not a visual one but we're gonna you know we're gonna jump into these machines and and uh yeah, definitely you can I don't know, provide some education for folks that maybe are a little dumb about this stuff <laughs> as I am. I've like, I love to, to watch people perform like yourself or a Meltzer, mm -hmm. um, just because I think it's, it's so engaging to, to watch what's happening and yeah. just realize that all of this stuff is being made yeah. kind of live and right there. But my understanding of it is, is very uh -huh. little. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of uh, people, uh, sometimes I'll start talking about it and their eyes will kind of glaze over because it's like, <laughs> it is like, it's complicated, but it's definitely like, uh, I, I have spent a lot of time with it. And uh, yeah, you know, I think I'll try to break it down as, uh, as easily as possible or as, as simply as possible. Um, but there's, uh, there's certainly a lot of elements. So I know that there's uh, about like three people out there that like really care about this kind of stuff. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully they'll be listening for all the, for all the geeks and nerds it, out there. Absolutely. We're yeah. diving in. That's, that's where we're at for this episode. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. They'll be there. Um, before we get into all of these electronic gadgets and just how you kind of got immersed in this world, uh, I was hoping we could just though, take it back uh -huh. to the beginning of, your music journey and just kind of provide some context of how you have arrived to this space sure. of making music. So yeah, man, when did you get 
hooked into playing music you one of these these church kids that started playing Dude, guitar at the church or something so funny that is exactly how <laughs> i really started are you one of those people too um i mean i went to a lot of those types of churches i didn't necessarily play in any uh church bands i suppose though i, I went to catholic church as a kid okay and i was in the choir from yeah. a pretty young age and i guess that was my earliest exposure to performing mm -hmm. in front of people in any capacity and it was the only thing that really ever kept me engaged as a kid with mm -hmm. the with any sort of church service just because i just i don't know my mind was definitely not ready to uh receive all of this information and Certainly. figure out what i wanted to do with it so um yeah i, I guess i would just i feel like that's often a route for people and their first yeah. first exposure to playing music in front I of agree. people yeah exactly like performing in front of people and having that opportunity to do that um was like my first experience with that was definitely in the church i started playing guitar when i was really young um and just like guitar lessons and everything too was probably you know eight or nine years old when i picked up a guitar and just like doing the, the normal lessons thing and everything and i had some really good teachers um but yeah like we ended up getting into like one of those types of you know modern non-denominational christian churches that uh is like very heavily on the, on the worship band thing yeah right and so yeah like the um i guess like middle school is kind of when i started playing in in one of the church bands and then like the kind of the pressure to uh you know learn the songs and perform the songs and do it well and like they had right. pretty a uh, pretty serious like um production going on you know so. dude that's always the bitching part about those churches they always have like the best gear they always have the drummer set up in the aquarium yeah, <laughs> the full fiberglass yeah. like, thing around oh yeah yeah i uh it was definitely one of those situations and we had like the youth group and then like the main church band that had like yeah it's like you think that that's what's keeping most of these music stores and businesses like these you know insane regs that these churches are getting right i mean we were just talking about pro sound and light and yeah. they're by no means a sponsor but i will i will give them i love this guys. shout out yeah. um but even just being in there there a lot of their advertisements mm -hmm. for sound system setups are in these big churches yeah they just have the best they really do coolest setups my uh my sweetwater rep <laughs> Shout out to my Sweetwater rep. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like the same guy since I've ordered since the beginning, but he went from just like a regular rep to now he's like the head of the worship uh, division on Sweetwater. Okay. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy. They have all the lights. They got all the, the stuff. I mean, yeah. Music venues certainly are not raking in the cash like uh, some of those churches are. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a, a musical family? or was... Not really. Like my family was like um, definitely interested in music, um, but like not... Um, my, you know, my dad like played the piano as a kid, like just like kind of classic, uh, piano lessons kind of kid stuff, but yeah, not really like a musical family. My uncle was, um, a musician to some extent. And, uh, and then I, there's a story apparently that my great grandmother, um, was the piano player and the cook on the ferry that went from Astoria to Washington, like, way back before there was a bridge okay. right. so there is like some sort of history there um but yeah the uh yeah the, the music thing is just something that like i really latched on to as a kid very much so folks were pretty uh cool with it though when you were like hey i want to get a guitar and i'm nine and i'm ready to make some fucking noise absolutely <laughs> yeah they were super cool with it i think actually my first guitar might have even been from costco 
maybe. Hell yeah. <laughs> I remember like a three quarter size, like classical nylon string guitar that I had like originally. But yeah, <laughs> they were really into it and they like got me all the lessons. And then, you know, as I was like getting better at it and then like, you know, upgrading to, uh, you know, like a little strat <laughs> knockoff and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and yeah, but yeah, like I, it was really the church thing. Like as I was progressing, as far as music was concerned, was like really heavily because of like playing in church and then like the bands that I kind of had after that as yeah. well. I would imagine you like form some oh, out, yeah. outside bands out of the church with some of those people you're playing music yeah. with and you already have this chemistry that you've built with them because mm-hmm. you're playing every week with them. Yep. 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 I, uh, I had uh, a band with, yeah, with like the drummer in the church band and then, um, yeah, I think that was like my first kind of, uh, like recording experience too, is our, our little band like went and recorded with, with a guy and made a little EP. Um, man, I can't, turn, can't remember what the name of that band was called, but you know, some stupid name. <laughs> so yeah, it was great. What do you think made you want to get a guitar that early on? Did you have other friends that were Not messing really. with music yet? Yeah. I actually was really into George Thorogood. <laughs> <laughs> that song bad to the bone. Okay. It's like, now that I listen to it, like there, there's like guitar in there, but there's like a heavy sax solo in that song. <laughs> it's like, never really thought about that, but yeah, it's, uh, it, that was the song. I was just like obsessed with that song as a kid. I love that song. And that was like really what made me want to play music <laughs> guitar in general. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> Did you want to, were you pretty eager to just learn a bunch of covers when you first got the guitar or did you quickly uh, kind of start to i had a guitar teachers that were more into like the fundamentals of music theory and like learning the guitar from the like scale and and key perspective which is cool like i, I that was definitely like more heavily my my like education as a musician was based around um yeah, music theory and composition, like not really playing covers, which I like, I've taught myself, you know, over the years, like and learn songs that I like to, to play, but like they were really more into like, you know, here's a pentatonic scale, like here's how the keys work, like, you know, practice these different shapes and doing like that kind of stuff. And then also like the church band as well, like getting handed like, you know, lyric sheets, like with the chords on them. Right, right. So that was like, I had to like kind of learn that kind of stuff. And I spent less time like learning songs, even though I did like a, you know, a bunch of Red Hot Chili Pepper songs and like all that kind of stuff and Bob Marley and whatever. But like, yeah, I, uh, I was not really as, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe if a different guitar teacher had been my teacher, like I probably would have learned more covers and learned more other people's songs, but that was not my beginning. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine all that music theory and things that you learned from that young of an age though like informs even what you're yeah. doing now and i think it heavily informs it yeah definitely yeah it's uh I, and i end up like i ended up going to school for that stuff too and and like it kind of permeates all the bands that i've that i've been a part of that there's some kind of like element of like other things not necessarily like really trying to sound like another band but really like trying to craft our own thing that yeah for better or for worse was definitely more I was doing. Yeah, did all the music theory and whatnot make sense to you from a pretty early age too? Like, did you in, enjoy it and not like fight, <laughs> not fight against, against it? it? Yes and no, I think. Uh, I, I know that there was like a time, I think with every kid too, like you just don't want to practice or whatever. And like, right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm glad my parents like really was like, no, you have, we're, pay- we're paying for these lessons. <laughs> you know, you need to learn it and do your homework before you get to the next lesson. And so, um, like I really tried to get 
there and then eventually it just kind of clicks in, you know? And, and so like the theory stuff, I don't know if I always really understood it until I was like playing more stuff where it was like kind of necessary to understand like the relationships of the scales. Like if you're going to improvise a solo or something like that kind of thing was where it started to click in. And that was like kind of later, maybe like high school time and everything too. And then I had, um, when I was in high school, I had a, um, a great music theory choir teacher that I was in and he was like him and that kind of music department there were, were, uh, fantastic, you know, uh, people. And I got into a band as well. And like everybody in that band was music theory nerds. Um, so I, I had a pop punk band originally and then kind of switched yes. over. Yeah. Oh yeah. You were one of those people that oh, were excited yeah. that I had been from armor for sleep you're yes. like oh I, I used to listen to that shit. dude <laughs> oh i know yeah yeah big time oh man I, yeah i would well, go well, down that rabbit hole all day <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah my i was like a pop punk band into like kind of a screamo post-hardcore band you know eventually so uh yeah that was two different bands but the, the screamo one was a little was definitely more uh music theory heavy and like i think we were maybe more you would probably know Circus Survive. Absolutely. Yeah, that's more what we were influenced by. I think Hell yeah. So then, uh, yeah. Um, but man, I loved Armor for Sleep. Is uh, So was that what you were doing with just all your free time? Just immersing yourself in yeah. music? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, like I've always been pretty obsessed with it, you know? And um, like also just like listening to music too, like just CDs and like getting yeah. all kinds of stuff and it was funny, like, when I was a kid, I was kind of limited. Um, my mom, like, uh, at the time was heavily Christian and kind of would, like, only let me listen to certain Christian CDs. And we had the, the like, mail-in CD club, <laughs> Columbia House thing. Yeah, yeah. But we, I could only order off of the, the Christian thing. So it was, it was, like, that stuff and then trying to kind of, like, sneak around and, you know, Napster coming around and stuff, too. And, like, right, finding right. all that and, and downloading and, like, being meticulous about putting all that <laughs> stuff together. So... Yeah, like I think that, that that was a big part of it. Big CD booklets of all that kind of stuff, and then, uh, and then yeah, like the music itself, um, playing music in the band, and like once I left the church, playing in the pop punk band, and then um, eventually playing in this band, uh, Morning for the Masses, which is kind of like the first like success I guess I saw and in, uh, in music as a actual performer outside of. Um, yeah, like we we got signed to a little label and we were touring and stuff after high school. And it was yeah, so we're doing really good. So and you were also you went to music school after high school. I I, I stayed out of school for a couple of years. I really didn't plan on going to college after high school. Uh, the band was going really well. The um, so you just like you were like yeah, I'm gonna play music. Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, that was the kind right. of the plan. Cool. My like you know throughout high school, I wasn't the the world's greatest student. I guess. Uh, just didn't really care that much you know i moved around a lot as a kid too and like you know I, I moved out to the east coast um we were like on the west coast most of it oregon california but then um went to high school outside of baltimore and um and so like i like you know like kind of other stuff that i had in my life it was like kind of focused in onto onto music a little bit more and um and so yeah like we we uh Oh, the school thing. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Not a good student after we moved to the uh, the East Coast. I just like kind of lost my whole friend group and everything. So yeah. Yeah. Like um, really heavily focused on music. And um, and so like meeting um, the rest of the guys in this band that we eventually like went like full bore into, um, 
that happened like my junior year of high school, I guess. But those guys were a little bit older. So they had graduated high school by the time I was a senior. Okay. And they were like in their first year of college. And they were, um, all of them were like really just wanting to be on the road too. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, I was just talking to somebody about this, but I feel like the East Coast, that particular area is pretty hotbed for that pop punk (sighs) emo scene. Yeah. Baltimore was such a great spot to be like, like a band in at the time you know like i graduated high school 2005 so it was like there was just so much happening like great venues um they were really uh, probably for our benefit like not super hardcore about being of age in a bar you know and so we could play all these great shows um and there's still some of them around like the auto bars is still there and i guess like there's a place called the talking head that kind of got folded into another bar that's called that was called sonar at the time and now it's just a totally different place but um baltimore soundstage i think is what it's called now but uh but yeah like we got a lot of opportunities to like play really cool shows and um just like be in a scene with just a ton of great bands and people like starting little record labels and stuff like that too. And right. so that was our thing. And, um, the first little label we got signed to was called Emerald moon. They also had the band all time low. Okay. Do you know? Yeah. That? Yeah. So, yeah. We we're, the, were like right around the same age. I graduated yeah. high school in 2003. So okay, cool. Yeah. This yeah. is all within my frame okay, of reference. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, somebody actually just sent me a picture of a compilation that like, it's like in alphabetical order. So all time lows right at the top. And then our band is like okay. further down, but yeah, we were on the same record label as all time low. We were like playing a lot of shows together doing that kind of whole like Knights of Columbus Hall, going up to Jersey, like everything, you know, so much is in your grasp when you're on the East Coast. That's yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing I like always love talking to the East Coast bands about is that's, it's so different Mm -hmm. from here. You know, it's like nearest cities are so close. Nearest major cities. Big time. So bunched together on the East Coast. Yeah. You can do a tour and drive like two hours every day and like be playing in another major city like all the time. And so, yeah, it really like helps a lot with bands around there and just like the network that you get from all that. And it was like the MySpace era too. So there was a lot of like show trades and like a lot of people like putting on shows in like fire halls and yeah, like like that kind of stuff really like DIY heavy elements, but people would just show up, you know, like there'd be 300 kids at these shows all the time. It's great. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so what's, what was like your involvement in these bands? You know, you're, you're playing guitar, but are you, are you doing a lot of songwriting too? Yeah, I think so. Like I, uh, I've always been definitely like the organizer of the band in a lot of ways. Like I, I definitely like, I'm not a lyricist at all, really. I mean, maybe you can tell cause I don't make any music with lyrics anymore. <laughs> um, but I've been heavily involved in the crafting of the songs for sure. And just kind of the structure and music side of how they work playing that producer role yeah i think so in some form yeah in 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 a lot of ways um you could say that and and morning for the masses we really had um like me and the other guitar player were very kind of like involved in in the songs and then we had the singer who was like the lyrics so it was kind of like music and lyrics separate and it would kind of come together as a band and kind of jam it out and everything too but but much like yeah writing the structures of the songs kind of doing that whole thing and then um yeah i was like I think more on the side of like helping book the shows, you know, getting merch made like that kind of stuff, you know, as well. So joys like that yeah. side of things too. I think so. Yeah. I like it. I, I, I think I just have a big drive to do it, you know, and I just want to always be out there. So you got to have somebody yeah. in your, like if you're in a band, there has to be somebody 
doing that type of stuff i feel like yeah or unless you if you have like some one of your friends that wants to manage your band or whatever but right if it's not then it's like yeah you have to have it in the band yeah and that can you know cause friction i guess too (laughs) (laughs) especially when you're young man oh yeah it's so easy for yeah shit to like drama to come up that's so unnecessary just because you're young and stupid and don't know how to communicate things so yeah and i think you have that idealist element of like everybody want to have this kind of like democratic thing like everybody gets a say and and all this kind of stuff too but yeah as you get older i think it's important to learn that someone needs to be the leader a lot of the time and yeah and have that kind of thing but yeah egos and all that kind of stuff it always is like you know gets in the way of things and are you at that time, even developing pretty heavy as like a gearhead. Yes. Oh, big time. That, yeah, that's, that's always a been a part thing. of the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like we had huge pedal boards. Myself and the other guitar player were probably like, you know, friendly competition about like the gear that we had, <laughs> and just like spending every dollar we had on stuff. And like I used like my college money, some you know, like some bond, like a great aunt had gotten me or something yeah, like yeah. Uh, to buy a crank amp uh, by a company i don't even know if crank's still around but yeah just like a half stack uh 412 you know cabinet that you're just like you know it's totally unnecessary but you're trying to tour with that kind of stuff and then yeah the pedal boards were the thing that was like wild you know like 15 20 pedals at a time and i think like during that era too it was like very it was like a lot of people were doing that you know like yeah less everybody so was now. carrying around unnecessary amps oh, yeah. that they only had to like level three yeah. or four Instead of just having this small amp on stage yeah. that would do the same. <laughs> it's yeah. the aesthetic, man. You gotta have these monster exactly. amps on stage. There's there's like a music video from that band where we have like full stacks at one point too. <laughs> and like I think we brought those to a couple shows at and it was just yeah, way overkill. That's amazing. Hilarious. But yeah, um, the the pedal board stuff. I think nowadays too, like pedals, like all the boutique pedal stuff has become so crazy expensive. And there wasn't as many companies back then. You kind of just had like Boss and Electroharmonics, yeah. and Full Tone, and like that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was a little bit more affordable maybe <laughs> than now. But but yeah, like uh, heavy heavy pedal board stuff. Yeah, were you always trying to like fuck around to make your guitar not sound like a guitar? Yeah, and diving oh, big into time. that. Yeah, when Electroharmonics came out with the POG, uh, the polyphonic octave generator, um, that was like a big thing, which I used later on in other bands too. Um, but like, yeah, lots of like delay, kind of like or like the synthy kind of elements, maybe a lot of loop pedal stuff that we would like pre-record and sync up and play the loops on there too yeah. and and yeah that kind of fucking around with like ebos and oh, stuff yeah. like that yeah we were not a big ebo band but um i definitely yeah that that time uh yeah i don't know, always thought about it yeah i remember when my buddy ryan who i played in a band with for a long time got his first ebo he saw this dude sean playing with one mm-hmm. and he's like what the fuck is <laughs> is happening and then he got one and yeah, yep. that was just like, yeah, this thing just vibrates the string. You just hover it over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. And like in a very specific way, too, it didn't really sound like a bow on a guitar, you no, know? It like no. just kind of would come. But it was cool. That like endless sustain thing um, is definitely yeah, really fun to uh, to have. So. Yeah. And what about like recording music? Were you doing any like DIY recordings at that point? I know that, oh, yeah. w- that wasn't quite as... That w- the technology was not where it is now where everybody is you know mm-hmm. making garage band demos yeah. in their in their Super house easy. but 
Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of like your Zoom recorder that you've got, you know, for this podcast. Like back then, um, I think mine was a Korg. Um, but, you know, like I was fortunate enough to have like supportive parents on, on as far as the gear side stuff was concerned. I had jobs and I pay, you know, I, I bought a lot of my own stuff too. But like, you know, for Christmas, I, I got a Korg. I think it was a Korg like eight track. I can't remember what it was, but it burned directly onto a CD and had like a hard disk oh, drive. Nice. And, um, I don't know how long the hard drift drive actually recorded for, but Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. That, that thing burned to it burned directly to a CD. CD. Yeah. That's... It did not work very well, but uh, <laughs> it was definitely, an, and my guitar teacher also at the time uh, loaned me like a rack of gear that he had. And so it had like some reverb and like harmonizer stuff in there. And, um, and so, yeah, like we had access to that kind of demo thing. Um, and I was doing, I was doing a lot of that recording yet. And that, that definitely like was the earliest stuff as far as like getting into sound, um, recording stuff too, which is, you know, what I do for a living as well nowadays. So, um, but yeah, like <sighs> crazy times as far as like recording is concerned, you know, totally different world, no laptops, no like on, right. you know, like no computer recording at all. What's like, an interface, yeah, man? Exactly. <laughs> USB. You have like a sound card <laughs> in your, uh. <laughs> you know, we had a Sony Vio. I don't even think you could put a sound oh, card man. into that thing. Yeah, <laughs> the house computer. Yeah, those were like real hip at that time mm-hmm. too. Like a Sony Vio. The Sony Vio. <laughs> yeah. So what what happens after that band? Where 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 do you that find band, yourself after that? Yeah, we uh, we kind of like we put all our eggs in that band basket after high school. Like I didn't, I chose not to go to college. Uh, everyone else had kind of had like took a break from college for a year when I graduated and our drummer actually graduated early so we could go on tour. And, uh, yeah, we, we were, we were touring like the East coast, like all the time. And then, um, started doing like nationwide tours or kind of like getting deeper into the country and, and that kind of stuff. And, um, do any warp tour shit? We did and did a couple Ernie ball stage things and that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 I remember seeing bands on those Ernie ball stages at warp tour. Big time. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, yeah, never like actually on the like the true tour but like definitely the local stage stuff yeah. from time to time and um and yeah and then we uh yeah we we got out there on the road and kind of like um the booking stuff changed over hands to other people and uh the tours um when we would get out to the west coast it would be you know it's like a totally different situation because it's like it costs a lot more to be out this far and like the drives and all this kind of stuff and so um yeah we just like weren't making that much money and then uh we ended up like kind of like having a hard tour that at the last couple weeks of it uh like when we were going to make the money back uh we were in brooklyn and our trailer got broken into oh and brutal gear got stolen and like at that time like we our drummer had uh left the band because of um i probably shouldn't get into too many personal details but yeah he uh, he left the band we had like a kind of the touring drummers we were like playing to an ipod for a little while and then like had a couple guys and then um and that kind of happened and, and that drummer was my roommate and we had kind of gotten rid of the apartment and that kind of stuff too so it was kind of like this situation where lost like all the guitars got stolen and we had multiple guitars on that tour because we had like multiple tunings we were doing <laughs> of course you did exactly <laughs> and like the bass player had like three different bases one of which was like a custom one and they broke into the trailer and uh and like took just the guitars even though like all the 
uh, like the money and the pedal boards are right up front mm. too. And it might be a backstory of like the show before and other people that we kind of had an interaction with that may have come and, and broken into our ah, trailer. Might've been an inside job. It might've been an inside <laughs> job considering like how, what they stole and how much it ended the tour for us because the band we were on tour with was like a one guitar player band. Okay. And, um, and yeah, and the label couldn't really like send us any money and we like, yeah, it was just, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars. Right. Right. So we were pretty, pretty broke <laughs> and uh we kind of just had to like go back home and so that kind of like killed it we played a few more but because of like the situation i was in um with my housing and like all this kind of stuff it was kind of like do i stay on people's couches or do i like my parents were like you go to college we'll help you you know like with the whole thing so that was uh that was when i went to music school at that point so Where, where'd you go um i was in uh michigan um at uh grand valley for a little while my parents had moved to michigan and then um i went uh from there to new york and went to hunter college in new york city uh i transferred out so and are you uh studying at these spots for just music engineering at that point or? Uh, no it's music theory and composition okay. and guitar performance um the first school i went to was not a um like there was really no like jazz band it was like very heavy on very traditional elements of music theory and like uh like you know oral comprehension like listening dictation that kind of stuff music history classical playing and there was some like jazz ensembles but it was like only horns and 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 like keys and drums and stuff and like no no guitar elements at all so that was like uh kind of a big shock for me at least um because i came from this like world of like playing rock shows all the time and so i got into that school and like it just was like not a good fit the director like he just really didn't like me and i was i was i mean i was top of the class as far as the first few years of the music theory stuff was concerned i went to that the, the michigan school for two years and then um was in new york after that but um but yeah like doing great just really held to a high high standard um just because you know i don't know i didn't play clarinet and i yeah. like had, you know didn't have that background as far as a band nerd was concerned i guess super expansive time for you then musically just yeah i think it was good to like learn that side and i started djing then too like with some friends from the music school and um yeah, I wasn't like in a band. It was kind of hard, like leaving that other situation, like kind of thinking that you're going to go somewhere with it. And like, you know, we were doing like showcases for Victory Records. Like we thought we were like going to get it. You yeah, know? dude. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And All Time Low right then like signs to Hopeless and like becomes the biggest pop punk band ever. And like, well, maybe not ever, but still like one of the bigger ones. And like just kind of watching the whole thing happen and kind of being depressed about it <laughs> yeah because yeah there's the people within yeah. the circle that you were in you're yeah. watching them succeed to hit it yeah. and it's it's uh, interesting to see that there wasn't a whole lot of sustainability though in most of the bands from that era right mm -hmm. so like we talked circus survive earlier yeah. and they're maybe an outlier to that where they've yeah stood the test of time and you know everything anthony green does is right i think sought after yeah it's just because of him probably more than anything but uh yeah yeah and but i don't know there's there's few bands i think from yeah. that era that can it's say that they've so like continued to do it you mm -hmm. know like there's I, a lot of like 10 year anniversary tours and stuff that you know people our age are gonna like go pay tickets to see right but yeah no one gives a shit about the new Nobody music to, maybe yeah. that they got together to play no. or i mean I don't know. There's a few bands from 
that genre that stand out to me like thrice is one of my favorite bands of all time and they still to me like make great music and they never really they they took like a few year hiatus at, at one point but they never really stopped playing music and they're not really out playing these only anniversary tours mm-hmm, you know there's mm-hmm, yeah but it's yeah it's it's always interesting to me to kind of like look at that genre and see who has survived and i don't even know if i knew what an impact all that music would have for future generations that yeah. pop punk would even like live today mm-hmm. but i found a bunch of stuff that i really dig from yeah. newer bands it is interesting how much that genre yeah has like survived yeah and like the pop punk especially and how a lot of those guys too yeah there's like you know i mean back then it was just like teenagers and whatever but like now yeah there's like just tons of them like tons of that kind of style of band but yeah i don't know that kind of like thing that thrice is thrice is great but those guys kind of like transcended the thing like yeah they they evolved and they had people in their band that wanted to learn other instruments exactly. and they their sound changed yeah they didn't make the same record every every Absolutely. fucking time yeah but yeah like bands like thursday or like taking back sunday or something like that too like you know they just kind of petered out yeah and i love some taking back sunday records oh yeah um it's been a the only time i got to see them play live though was was a pretty disappointing experience mm-hmm. and i feel like maybe that's uh yeah i saw them on a couple warp tours i think yeah and warp tour is never an ideal place to see a band. <laughs> no, it's not. But you can always tell how maybe how great a band is when yeah. they're playing with the not yeah. the greatest sound setup and whatnot. Yeah. But playing outside, yeah. Yeah, it's uh it is interesting. I don't know. Like I, I just I also feel like some of that style has like gone into like other kind of things as far as like it's influenced other bands, but I feel like, yeah, the kind of like screamo we think maybe i just don't listen to stuff too but it's kind of like gone away as far as like yeah just yeah there's definitely a lot less of it yeah it's always surprising to me when i when i find like a newer band that's mm-hmm. in the indie rock world that is exploring <laughs> that a bit more you know definitely. that didn't start from that era yeah but then you got like i don't know Mach- machine gun kelly now is like making pop punk music basically for, for sure for like newer records and you know it's yeah, it's yeah. wild to see just how much that influenced and bled like into a generation yeah. of like what music they would make oh, in yeah. the future. Well, didn't Will Smith's daughter just make a pop punk record too? Uh, yeah. I I I heard something about this. I haven't I have not heard it yet. Yeah, I haven't either. But <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's 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 true. It's like it has like influenced them like from yeah their childhood, I guess now and then you know coming into what it was, but. It was well, an interesting form of music because people weren't always just like playing the same chords. There was a lot of like weird tunings. There was a lot of like interesting styles of guitar playing and nothing was just like the same one, five, six, four progression that you hear on pop radio like yeah. all the time. Like it was very experimental in a lot of ways. For sure. So, Think about some of those early, like earlier Under Oath albums oh, yeah. and them bringing in stuff like drum machines mm-hmm. and how experimental that was for that time or... Yeah, everyone right. seemed to have to have that like that one electronic song inside of the record somewhere. Uh, yeah, we definitely had that going <laughs> on uh, in, in there too. Or even like Yellow Card is one of those bands oh, yeah. that built like a sustainable career. And I know that that dude, Ryan, who fronted that band is really successful in, you know, producing music still outside of Yellow Card. And, but they had like the violin element. Oh, yeah. Which made them completely different. Definitely. And, I Yeah, I, Yellow Card was a great... I saw them in, like... 
early on, you know, and like the dude, the violin doing backflips yeah. off the eight ten yeah, bass dude. cabs, like insane, wild. Oh uh, man, I also saw Fallout Boy. Uh, they were opening for Catch Twenty Two. Do you remember that ska yeah, band? Fuck yeah, I remember it Catch Twenty Two. So funny. It was like the tour was Fallout Boy, Catch Twenty Two, and uh, this band. Um, it's not the starting line, but it, they uh, <laughs> something line in the name. Yeah, it's like the they were the like the second support. Like they were not even the headlining. Catch Twenty Two was the headliner by far, and yeah, saw him at this now defunct venue in Baltimore called Fletcher's. And Pete Wentz was still doing the backflips and all that kind of stuff too. But man, they were a friend of mine knew Patrick Stump and was like, yeah, the homies with them. But man, it was they were great back then. <laughs> so funny. So what gets you back out to the West Coast? Um, I, so yeah, I was in New York, uh, went to New York for school and then kind of like transitioned out of music stuff, uh, like as far as music school was concerned, because I don't know, it wasn't really taking me anywhere the way, where I wanted to. And, um, and I'd, um, I'd, I'd actually moved in with the guitar player, the other guitar player from the masses and in New York. And we were, um, trying to make a go at, um, like music licensing stuff. And, And we were doing some stuff, uh, with, you know, other friends of ours that uh, had gotten really into that. Um, kind of just purely writing music for yeah. soundalikes, okay. like doing the kind of like, uh, yeah, the ad stuff where you're you're writing like kind of multiple songs uh, in sort of a genre or like an idea off a reference. And, and, you know, some of them get picked up, some of them don't. And um, how long ago was that? That was, uh, I moved to New York in 2009. And then, okay. um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was in New York until basically the end of 2011. So yeah, like three years, uh, a little over three years um, in New York. And um, yeah, I was like, I was still, I was heavily playing music at the time in New York, and I, um, I was working on that stuff. Uh, my writing partner, like he, he ended up moving uh, back to Baltimore. Um, but, uh, I was like playing with other people and doing, um, some like band leading stuff, uh, out there and, um, just like working with other players and like, uh, putting together things for like boy bands at CMJ and and stuff. And, uh, and so we were, we were like playing, I had this little like tiny closet of a practice studio. Actually, the first one I had was underneath a nail salon. Uh, I was like, you pull up the grate on the, on the street corner and, and the nail salon and also the bathroom for the nail salon was in there. So we would be like jamming and like people would like come down and like pee. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah it's funny. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I kept at that for a while until it kind of like a bunch of bad stuff happened, like, you know, relationship things and, and kind of everything else. And, and, um, I, I, I did, uh, I did a project that, uh, went really well and, um, got the opportunity to, build a studio in a beach house like a family beach house it was my grandmother's and she was passing away and she or you know she was handing the 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 house down to me because of kind of the music stuff that we'd done out there it was kind of like a retreat for a lot of the different bands and stuff I was in and and so she was like if you want to do this you know come now she also just like didn't like me living in New York for whatever (laughs) reason um so yeah that's kind of what brought me back out here is she um she kind of gave me this blessing to do this thing. Um, and I, you know, I had some cash to kind of make it happen. And so yeah, I came out, lived in the coast of Pacific city studio, still there. Kawanda sound recordings. So that's uh, right. Yeah. And it was like, I built, there was like kind of a boat thing behind the garage. Um, and so I, I put it in the studio in there and, um, and so, yeah, I was doing that for quite a while. Um, and 
like built that whole thing up uh and you know that kind of transition to we were talking about earlier my weather machine the band that i uh, was in out here yeah so that's what brought me back to oregon um was was that whole thing but so were you recording bands out at the mm-hmm. that yeah. spot? Yeah, I was like hosting an open mic out there with another friend that you know I met out there, and um, and yeah, I was like I was recording bands, a lot of like random cover bands that wanted to do stuff, or yeah. there's like a lot of people that want to rap out there, so there's like a lot of that. And yeah, would you, would you get quite a bit of traffic for being in such a small place? Yeah, the Oregon coast <laughs> is not like super well populated. It certainly is not, and I I kind of thought that I was going to be able to like launch it as kind of a destination recording studio thing like it's um it's got a house it's got the whole thing and like it was just trying to like find people that wanted to do it and that did kind of like become a bit of an issue you know it took me a while to finish the studio because like i ran out of money and um and like we were you know still trying to (laughs) trying to build it (laughs) it it is more expensive than (laughs) you think um but yeah other projects kept coming through and i was still doing the the other you know side of making music for other people and then um we yeah like i i just just started trying to like get more into a scene of some kind you know even if it was out there i was just kind of like saying yes to whoever wanted to to record and everything and um and so yeah through doing those open mics and other people i met um some people from portland that like were out there doing okay. um doing stuff and they were you know recording and and uh, that's how I met the, the Weather Machine guys, or at least the guy who was the songwriter in the Weather Machine, um, to, uh, to yeah, kind of start that whole thing. So that's uh, and that went on for that went on for some years, right? Yeah, I was in that band. I think our first. Let's see, I opened that studio at the kind of the beginning of 2012. Although actually, I guess it wasn't really finally finished until maybe like the end of 2012. But um, yeah, we put out that first record in the summer of 2013, I think, and um, and yeah, like I'd met him through the uh, the open mic thing. He, it was just like he he his family had a house in Hebo, um, which was down the street, down the 101 a little bit, um, and so he heard about the open mic and he would come out and like he's just a great songwriter. And so I was just like, man, let's work together, you know, yeah. do some stuff. And uh, that was also the early days of Kickstarter. Um, I'd done a Kickstarter for the studio and. Uh, we did a Kickstarter for that record and it was just like before Kickstarter kind of became what it was nowadays. So people were like interested and you could like find, you know, some, like a few grand on there like yeah. pretty easily through your networks of people. And it was so much more heavily focused on like music and art than it is like nowadays where it's like everybody's board game is on there. Whatever. Right, right, right. So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, you know, we funded some of that stuff on there and, um, and through Slater, like we, brought in like you know his brother was playing drums and um i played like guitar and bass and stuff on a lot of it and then uh, we, he had a cello player friend he's from central oregon sisters area um and so some of those guys like came out and, and did those things and then we ended up um just like forming a band around that record that we had made um so we just got you know like i think we just kind of hit the ground running with that band really well like it just really kind of took off we started off with like a White Eagle residency and we were playing every Monday night at White Eagle for like a month and a half and uh, got started getting the blue stars in the Portland Mercury. And some people would just come to our shows. Yeah, it started gaining traction <laughs> in the Portland scene yeah, pretty quickly. pretty quick. And it was like, if it's folk rock and I think that like then 2013, it was like very, you know, there's a lot yeah. of folk rock bands and like, I think we were an interesting band and, and like his songwriting was great. Like he was a fantastic songwriter and that was a big part of the the draw, I think too. And it was a good, good band. 
solid solid performers and and just doing it regularly enough that it was kind of going and then we had a little um like a viral video thing that we did um with all the oregon state parks uh like a supercut okay of all of the uh the oregon state parks um over this song about oregon that he'd written and he like went to all of them and i was along with some of them and like some of the other band members were kind of in and out of the whole thing and um and so that that kind of helped us we put it out on um a big youtube channel um rain wilson soul pancake one and then uh you know gopro was a part of it so they kept doing it there and it got noticed like throughout at least like oregon travel tourism stuff and uh opb um was really into it and so uh yeah we were like i think that that kind of like helped launch that to a little higher level early on with that band able to do some pretty extensive touring with that yeah band that as was well. the thing yeah that was the thing that i was like a big champion of and i think um in general I, I have always been maybe a little too forceful with uh touring in general like trying to like get outside of your city you know yeah portland's a hard place like you're saying like it's hard to like kind of get to other places from here yeah um, there's not you get seattle of, yeah and then the your nearest major city is 10 hours away exactly <laughs> yeah so you know we had a, he uh had a good in at salem so there was like we had a, a really good crew um he went to willamette down there so there was there was like quite a few shows that we would play in salem that were really fun and then um the sisters thing sisters has a big folk fest yeah you know about that yeah so we were uh we you know, played some of those and um and then, yeah, I was just like, you know, we got to expand. We got to go to, yeah, try to get into Seattle as much as we can, you know, try to, you know, get further out. We were playing Pendleton and then we were kind of like trying to move over to like Boise and um, we got in with the cool crew in, in Moscow, Idaho and um, just kind of like moving to like Bozeman and, and like Missoula, all those kind of places yeah. and like moving like kind of up more in the Northwest zone as opposed to trying for California. We definitely did some LA stuff and some San Francisco stuff, but it's certainly harder to get there um, than it is to do the other ones yeah and there's more gigs i think as far as like we would play those long two three hour sets of like you know we had he had like 25 songs that we would you know yeah. be able to go through and then just throw a handful of covers in there and like you're good so you could get away and yeah. and play the the gigs that that paid decent so that you could play the gigs that you really wanted to play exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah that was a big part of the the whole thing even watching the i we were talking before we started, but I got here right around the time you were forming mm -hmm. Weather Machine and never made it out to a show, but it just kind of knew that the band had a buzz around it and a yeah. following. And even watching that Audio Tree performance this morning, I was like, yeah, dude, of course. Like, this is the songwriting, like you're saying, songwriting's great. The mm -hmm. performance was really good and mm -hmm. seemed like you guys were a tight band. Yeah. 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 Especially the Audio Tree time, like, we were definitely as tight as we were probably ever, you know, like just, we were playing so many shows. It was just like every weekend we'd be out or then that, that I think we'd been on tour like almost three weeks at that point when we did that, that audio tree. Um, and also like that, some of those songs, they never actually came out on any records. Um, but we kind of pushed away from a little bit more of the traditional folk stuff that he'd done. And we were getting into more of this like experimental territory. Yeah. Um, which I really liked. Um, and I think like we had um, just a great bass player at the time too, um, Andre, who uh, plays in Allen Stone's band and, and everything now. And like 
really solid like crew and just interesting musicians so we were just like really trying to do something different i think with it and go further um but yeah touring's hard that's the or at least not for me but as the other members of the band were not as into it so well i mean yeah and what kind of touring are you talking about are you talking about crashing on couches and sleeping yeah. in walmart parking lots and shit like that i think it's about it was it was more that in the u.s we did a european tour as well which was much much nicer as far as hospitality was concerned <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, you know, I, I think that it was like 50, 50, as far as like the weekend runs and things like that, we could be doing stuff that was like, you know, we could be doing a corporate gig or doing other shows that were much better paid, but there's five of us in the band, sometimes like a sixth person, like tour managing for us. So, you know, there's not a lot of money to go around yeah. for everybody individually. And we we're, I, you know, I was just a big proponent of like putting it all back into the band as opposed to like taking it out. And so growing it to that level. Um, where we could be comfortable and being on the road. And uh, and so, yeah, but so we were crashing on couches and mostly, you know, like most of the time. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's not for everybody. I don't know, <laughs> I guess, the uh, the end of that story. You also just love playing music every night kind yeah, of thing. Too, I, I love it. The stage yeah. and That's the thing that I love the most, you know. I just, music in general, like, live music is so important to me and i just music is just alive in general and like being there with the, the waveforms hitting you and like just like seeing the whole thing and like being around people and having that whole energy it's like it's so important to me for music i, I don't want i won't i'm not like that kind of like bedroom producer which is like i just want to put things out on soundcloud or whatever and like not ever do them in a live context well i mean even what you're doing now with the brother versus robot stuff it's that stuff you could just do mm -hmm. at home yeah. if you wanted to but it seems like you have this desire to mm -hmm. want to take it out in front of people and yeah big time uh, yeah and like be yeah you know there tons of people do it on twitch and that kind of stuff too but yeah i just don't um i just don't get that thing that i even like playing for like two people or whatever i, I i'm like more into that than doing just an online thing yeah because it's uh yeah, it's just something special about it for me. So, Hey, everybody. Just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Mussels and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Coming up this Sunday, we've got Van Part. And then this Tuesday, September 14th, we got Free Tillman, former guest of the podcast, Along with Love Jones, both these dudes are great producers. They're going to be throwing down a bunch of lo-fi beats and productions that they have personally made. September 19th, got DJ Colors. And September 21st, a DJ set from Small Skies. And then the 26th, back at it, is DJ WWJP. I saw this dude a couple weeks back over there and uh, definitely somebody that knows how to set a vibe. So that's what's happening on the calendar at North 45 coming up. Let's get back to the episode.
So how far removed are you from the weather machine stuff? And were you already getting into some of this electronic shit before that dissolved for you? Um, I, uh, I wasn't really, um, I, I, well, the studio and like the recording side of things, um, obviously was like a big part of stuff and getting into the recordings, um, like working more for like recording other bands and like mixing stuff and, and doing that kind of thing as opposed to just doing it for myself or doing it for these commercial opportunities. Um, like that was like my technological side, I guess more so. And I've like very much been a technician as far as like music is concerned in general, like even like learning music theory and that kind of stuff. I'm not as much like a feel player or something all, all the time, you know, very heavy, heady kind of, kind of guy. So yeah, like I hadn't really done much like electronic music really at all a little bit of garage bandy things here and there and that kind of stuff i mean the pedal boards and that kind of like the expansive pedal board stuff and, and yeah, the machine yeah. had a lot of elements of like guitar things that didn't sound like a guitar yeah absolutely and, uh, and so a lot of that was like a big part of what i was doing there but it wasn't a uh it wasn't like part of it and and yeah, I mean, like, I, as far as like where I was at with Weather Machine and like how the like the kind of when we really were hitting the tours hard, the just the relationships between all of us were dissolving. Kind of the classic story of, of bands. It's and hard so, to maintain. Yeah, and like certain members of the band, I, I don't know if it was you know the original members of the band, but but the, some of the people didn't want to be on the road, but didn't really express that when then you're out there for 45 days and then you have two weeks off and then you're in Europe for a month, like in February, like it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's difficult, you know? Uh, and I guess maybe because I'd done that when I was younger, I knew kind of how to take a break from it. I like left and went to Hawaii before we went on the other tour and like made sure that I was like in the good headspace to go back out on the road and everything too. But, uh, it wasn't your first time doing that. Type yeah, of shit. exactly. Um, and Europe was great. Like the Europe tour was super cool. Like everyone was so nice to us, feeding us well. We always had a place to stay. Like we were making money. It was beautiful. You know, you're in Austria and Germany and Switzerland, like just incredible places, you know, and like really I was having a great time, but, um, yeah, certain people were not having a great time <laughs> and, uh, and they had kind of like, they, they, were poisoning the well kind of behind my back um with everybody else and kind of like saying this is not something that we should be doing instead of just being like i don't want to do this being like no like let's just stay in portland yeah and uh and i really yeah i unfortunately like they kind of um pulled some things as far as like shows were concerned and, and other things and as far as like the finances of the band were concerned that uh, I was being oh very transparent. I was you know kind of managing all that kind of stuff too, and they uh, they kind of uh, took it in a different way, and then just uh, kind of canceled a bunch of stuff behind my back, and and then uh, yeah, I had to kind of reassess what I was doing because I was like these are people that I'm like having to spend this time with, I'm having to like be in a, in a business situation with, and uh, and they are not communicating this whole thing, and they're kind of like sabotaging it while still like wanting to do it, but also sabotaging things. Um, uh, like not just in a, you know, in, in a, in a much, you know, greater personal way than just with the band stuff. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that, uh, that kind of unfortunately made me want to leave. Cause I was like, this is not 
my goals. This is not my, like, I've done a lot of work and put a lot of time and money of my own into this whole thing. And if you guys are going to kind of like act like this is not a part of, you know, this, this is not a, a thing that you think that I had any, whatever I like, they, uh, they very much like discounted all of the work. The fact that I had basically started the band and created this whole thing along with Slater until like later on. And then, it kind of like went away from me and they, they separated themselves from me. And, and I just like, you know, you just got to work hard and you got to do, do your job and go out and, and do the things and, and just kind of leave your, leave your bullshit behind, like, and just do, do the work. Um, and not take it out on other people, the, your hosts and your promoters and all these kind of other things when right. you're out down the road. And that was the kind of unprofessional things that I was just like, I can't, I can't be a part of that. So, um, so yeah, I left and, um, they kind of just acted like uh, I was like never really a big part of the thing, <laughs> so it was like it was frustrating for me. Um, so this is the second band that you have like this bad taste in your mouth almost yeah, after you're, exactly. you're leaving for different reasons mm-hmm, this time. Different but, reasons, yeah. And but then, you put this energy in again, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming like you kind of felt like you were on some trajectory to again like maybe yeah create more sustainability for this project. Definitely. You just got to, yeah. I mean, I just always see it as like an investment of time and, yeah. uh, and, and, and resources that you have and to not be short-sighted with as far as like taking, taking paychecks or whatever else too. But yeah, like it was exactly the same. I mean, it wasn't exactly the same situation because I think that this band was much more successful. I was older. Like there was other, you know, we were, we were running it like a business. The whole thing was set up in that way. Everybody had, you know, a say and, and could have seen and, and, you know, we had, contracts and things like that we were doing and uh and so yeah it was um yeah frustrating to be like yeah to kind of be treated in this other way when you yeah when you tried to like make everything you know the right way and so yeah that's definitely um what pushed me more into uh some sort of solo thing and that's where i got into the electronic stuff i also like after i left them i I had another very short-lived band um that uh we were do you know we, i was taking all of the kind of influence that i had from weather machine and like trying to put it into this new band and we made some stuff and then uh we booked a two-week tour and everybody like basically ghosted like three days before the tour <laughs> and that's when i was like oh man the yeah uh the booking agent and i just had to like kind of go away with the tail between our legs and I was like, all right, no, no more bands for a while it's <laughs> not uh not making making it work well i'm gonna have the uh the other dudes from weather machine on next week and they'll, they'll yeah. tell their side of the story. yeah i i hope so uh, i'm just kidding i don't i don't know any of those guys <laughs> i'm just fucking i think one you. of them's in uh not in the country anymore and um the other ones uh well, actually two of them two of them are not in the country anymore two of the original members and then the other guys are floating around portland somewhere but i mean andre who was there on those tours he's playing an Alan Stone's band so if you want to yeah talk to him <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah other than that um yeah who knows um but yeah anyway yeah. Other than that, that is why I got into the electronic music thing. Is a solo thing. I didn't want to play acoustic guitar and like sing singer songwriter thing. That's not my thing. And so I kind of just like started learning electronic music in a lot of ways. Yeah. So what was like your first entry into that? Because this is, uh, I appreciate you like sharing like all the experiences yeah. with that and and with the prior band because I think it's just interesting context for what you are doing now because it is so much different it's very different genre wise you know yeah Yeah. and like coming from bands in that whole world i like i really like performing with other people you know and like kind of the elements that you have with other people 
I hope that was interesting too. I wasn't trying to air too much dirty laundry out there, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I like playing, you know, I just want to play music that like excites me live, you know, and, and I'm doing something that's like interesting. Um, and, and so, yeah, like after kind of both of those things fell apart, uh, quickly, I, um, I just was like, just trying to find an element that I could just like do on my own and be a solo act, but isn't um, something that I had seen before or whatever. I don't know if that was necessarily the concept behind it, but it was just like I got a novation circuit and just like really got into like making music that way um, and was just like really into the kind of elements of like sequencing and making sounds uh, you know synthesis and that kind of element of yeah making music yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense too that you wouldn't want to just pick up an acoustic and play these songs one because you already said that like lyrics and things of like that are yeah. not like it never been like your thing mm -hmm. of, like writing songs like that but like for all of the the shit you were even doing on the electric guitar for these these shows and these different bands like that even that stuff was like pretty expansive so it makes sense to me that you would want to you know you've got this crazy rig behind you and have you fire up some things <laughs> here soon yeah, but sure. like i would imagine that that is so engaging for you for a live show to have all these different gadgets working and whatnot big time yeah you know and like even playing the uh with those other bands i was definitely like dancing around on pedals and doing things too and like still playing the guitar and i could still like I can play a solo. I can do that whole thing. You know, like I, I'm not a, uh, you know, sometimes people will say that people hide their poor musicianship behind a bunch of uh, pedals and things like that. You still got to fucking know what you're doing. Exactly. You know, you still got to play in key, right? I mean, and in time, exactly. like, yeah, all little, of these things, a couple are... elements. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that whole thing. And just like routing the pedals and like doing all the, making it all yeah. kind of look nice and everything too. That was, uh, that was, always something that i was i was interested in so yeah it definitely translated over to this whole thing um i think also what really helped solidify the electronic music stuff for me outside of doing the circuit there's a instagram hashtag thing whatever that happens every january it's hashtag january january <laughs> in the year and uh had uh that guy from norway uh cuckoo he uh he kind of started people doing that okay. and probably so I left Weather Machine in, in beginning of 2016, and I think that was the first year that he did a uh, um, a January. So 2017, I, I got into it, and I um, was doing stuff with my circuit, and just like posting those videos on Instagram, kind of like immediately got a lot of attention as far as like people liking it, different uh, different you know brands sharing the things that I was doing, and uh, and so that helped me kind of progress and, and get into a little bit more of the gear side of things. Um, and I was still like figuring out what I wanted to do. I, w I don't know if I went into it thinking that I was like going to be a solo electronic musician per se that would perform it, but I liked doing the January things. I like kind of making those jams off the computer and I, I like just getting out of the computer in general, just because of like work and, and recording other people's music and stuff like that. It was just like hard for me to like kind of keep creating stuff for myself in the computer so doing that uh forced me also to make new songs every day push things out there push myself to like be creative all the time and uh and then eventually i was like all right i can like make this into a, a show and make it like my 
act as far as like music is concerned, a live performance thing. Yeah. You, you sort of have like more concrete goals with what you're trying to do with it now, or you still feel like you're just kind of diving into it and yeah, seeing I think how it shakes out. I have goals now. I think so. And especially now that I've like, well, I started playing like my first show with this was like February of 2020. Like somebody asked me to do uh, a show at ADX, um, right at the end of this, this last January that I was doing and they were like yeah do you want to play for this art show and I was like sure and that kind of like was the first thing where I was like kind of forced into like doing something like with this live and uh I kind of just like threw a bunch of the jams together and, and tried to like make a live show out of it um but right at that point I was like all right I have the show and like and I was just, yeah started booking shows and there's there's a few um like monthly electronic shows that happen in town at least at the time um, but yeah, I played, uh, that and then like five or six more shows, like really quickly into March and things were just like going well. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, the pandemic happened. So yeah. So then, yeah, it was like, it was just kind of like, okay, what do you do now? Uh, but that was the plan. I mean, I think once the live thing started forming, I, I was still improvising into like what it was going to be. I don't, I still don't really have a release of what songs are are and i don't know necessarily i have patterns and programmed things that i have like continually worked on um but only now i'm sort of feeling like i know which songs are songs you know um, yeah so i know you just posted that that soundcloud mm -hmm. link and you're even talking about in there that you're thinking about maybe chopping <laughs> some of those up yeah. into you know individual yeah. tracks but there's a lot of, I mean, I have recorded things. I have a, a, a ton of things that I have thought were going to be a record. Um, and they st might still end up being that. And I, I'm like trying to figure out what it is, how I want to do it. And yeah, you know, like it's just like you know, the production element of it. It's like, do I want to individually record everything, mix it, you know, do the whole thing, you know, or is it just the stereo out of what comes out of the things like here? And is that the song, you know? Okay. So that's kind of like where I'm at as far as like the, the releases are concerned. Um, and so that's why like, yeah, the Twitch streams, the kind of like live performance element because the stuff, the set is like improvised, um, in a lot of contexts and I'm just trying to like get solid with that. And then I'm like, okay, this is what people are feeling. I also like this one, this thing is kind of an element of like, I want to play these songs and see what people are into and like what makes people bored and what makes people dance and see okay. how people react to it. Um, more so than just trying to be like, this is the song I like, you know? So that's, uh, that's where I'm still like trying to play more with that is, is, is helping solidify what the song should be maybe you just need some more information before yeah, you yeah. start putting like yeah music out on the on the streaming services exactly. and things like that exactly. <laughs> putting records out yeah and like see, people are still interested in it and like doing the jams and like those little minute long videos are, are are fun for creation um but like yeah kind of taking that to the next level of what is an album gonna be and how do i want that to kind of yeah be out in the world so yeah or if it's like this seamless thing yeah that it's 10 tracks but it's all it never yeah. never really stops or... i think that that'll what will be this the album for sure like it would probably everything would would blend together um in a way but um as, as far as like what a, the live set is i mean you know uh, the the recordings that i've made as well uh are 
very much like jams that I'm editing down. It's all like 10 minute long performances that I want to cut into a something. Um, but then you go from that back into the gear and you're like, how do you do it? You know? So, <laughs> yeah. So walk me through, I know listeners can't see this, yeah. this rig you have set up. I'll, I'll, I'll have I'll to take, everybody. we'll have to take some pictures. Yeah, definitely. So people have some reference, but like, uh, yeah, walk me through, uh, yeah, sure. what you got going on up here and then we'll, we'll have you just play some fucking music for yeah, these man. people. So, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll kind of, yeah, talk about each, each of the elements. So basically there's two samplers up here. Um, one of which is more of a sampler and a MIDI sequencer. That's the Electron Dig Attacked. Um, ah, yes. Here. Yeah. Yes. I've heard much, yeah, much a thing. good news about this yeah. Digitac and the, this whole company. Yeah. Uh, Electron is great, man. Those guys make incredible gear. It's, what's fun about this stuff, too, is that it kind of has a little bit of an element of... Uh, like it has a sound and things can like kind of be weird in it. Like it does its own thing. It's not just like the sterile environment of, you know, of stuff. Um, and so like I, this particular, this is like the opening track to my set, I guess. And so I, I have these, all these different samples in there. Okay. Those are my first eight samples on that one. And then I have the, um, the electron model samples, which is just the sampler. And that one's more, you know, I usually use the model samples as more of a drum machine to some extent, um, although it does, you know, like it has some kind of synth elements to it. And this one has a lot of drums in it, too. Um, but these these the dig attack usually has more of the sample side of things and just like maybe much more of a simple like kick snare okay. hi hat thing. And then um, I have two synths on here, um, the Minotaur, the Moog Minotaur, which is a bass mono synth so it's just like one note at a time mono synth um so yeah. i'm dumb no, Colin. Please, so give me, give me the give me the question so so we have a synth with no keys yes which is also a thing yes <laughs> yeah these are both both the synths i have on here are, uh i guess you'd call them desktop modules okay. so there's no synth there's no keys to them yeah. they're just controlled by midi it's all midi information that's being sent from the dig attack and okay. it's all sequenced in there so like i can hit the key on here that that is the track for this particular synth yep and like it'll play that note but then um inside of the track there is a sequence of the things and so you know like um each one of these little like triggers here it plays notes into the synth um and then I, this is a mono synth, so it just plays one note at a time, and it's it's like the bass lines basically for this guy. Um, and I have a poly synth, which can play chords, and this is like it's a Juno copy. You know, it's, it's the Roland Boutique uh, line. It's like a small Juno. It looks like um, in a, something that would have came like made by Atari in the eighties. Yeah. Just like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, this is like kind of a classic. You hear it like there's tons of records that have the Juno on there. I mean, I feel like the Juno and the Prophet are like kind of two of the most ubiquitous as far as uh, synthesizers on albums throughout the 80s and like, I mean, going through to today. Um, this one is, it's like, it's much kind of like a cleaner. Um, this has got like a bit of, a bit of delay on it, but 
Um, okay. But yeah, I can, I can you can play you know chords on this one, and I'm playing them from the Dig Attack right now. It has a little kind of like keyboard feature. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's um, it can play chords. Whereas the uh, the other um, synth, if I were to try to play a chord like it only plays one note right. so you can't play a chord on it and these like modulars are different than the ones where you're like patching cables in yes these aren't modular synths these are um these are just standalone synthesizers okay a modular synth is much more um like the individual elements of synthesis um synths are kind of built off of a oscillator which is creating the sound and then a, a filter, which is, um, yeah, it's easier to kind of hear. The, the filter, um, it's, 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 this is subtractive synthesis, so it's it's a high pass or low pass filter, sorry, that's um, you know subtracting frequencies out of it. Uh, but um, if you kind of have everything, that's basically like the oscillator by itself. Uh, it will ju it just continues on. So there's a filter, and then there's an envelope, which is what uh, creates the time. Uh, how how the synth you know plays. Um, there's the uh, kind of attack. So this is a it kind of ramps into it, um, and then the release or the decay of it yeah and then the sustain um which is kind of like where how loud um the the actual note will get and that that uh that envelope will also be applied to the filter as well so like this filter can be low and you can turn up the sort of elements of it and it'll um it'll be it'll make it a slower attack so you can kind of hear it like it'll okay as opposed to uh just no envelope so anyway i was with my my buddy antoine and um they play my friends play in this band called high pulp and then sun king is like a little more electronic mm -hmm. and experimental but they the quarantine was spent diving deep into the modulars and he oh, was yeah. showing me like he's like you know like 10 different synths and then the different modular patches and just yeah. all that stuff was like so hard for me to like wrap my head around mm -hmm. but I did kind of like understand that these these things like give you the ability to manipulate the sound even in more detail and whatnot. But just like the idea to me that you have to put patch cables in just to make it make no sound. Yeah, it's like yeah. I was just like what what's happening? I think that's the difference between like a modular rig versus this, which is like just a synth. Like the modular rig, you'd have to have the individual elements of like this is an oscillator and that's just doing that thing, and then you have to go into the filters and the envelopes and that kind of stuff, and just yeah, like patching all of those things around so it just like runs. That is the element where it's like you have a lot more flexibility, but like to just to create a basic synth sound you have to have like four modules like just right. to get there and it also is just like such a gear rabbit hole <laughs> i i like I've, I've flirted with it a little bit and i have some things that have like modular patching abilities and the minotaur has some like cv um, which is like the elect electrical you know voltage thing um that comes into it but yeah it's uh it's very much a uh like you know the these these i don't do the modular thing because of the nature of like how you gotta have to build it and how temperamental it is in a lot of ways like it's not always going to be the same i mean it could be but like it certainly is like it can change and the the 
electrical you know elements of it all of this if it's warm enough it's all that kind of stuff i mean these are this is an analog synth the minotaur is an analog synth so it has some of that element of like it needs to warm up it needs to kind of be be uh tuned if it, if it needs to be this uh this juno is is a is like a digital recreation of a of an analog version but yeah like modular um is great but it just requires just like a more solid like base and utility to like get those patches right. to be always on so yeah that's why I, these are not modules uh or modular sense but um yeah it's a great it's a whole <laughs> other world that i uh that i do flirt with from time to time and then what are these uh then i have yeah so all that um goes into a mixer and then comes back out as far as an as an insert um before the master um where uh there's a compressor um these it's th these three boxes are made by a company called auto machines uh from france and uh this first one is is like uh, they call it a warming box but it's like a compressor a drive and uh and a high cut like a low pass filter um on it and um and it's also got like a, a gain knob and a mix knob um so you can kind of like do a, a parallel compression thing so it kind of just like glues everything fattens it up a little bit can have a loudness and then this guy is uh the bim that one's called the boom this one's called the bim it's a delay and then uh the the bam is a reverb so it kind of just goes into this compressor and then has a reverb and delay like as the master so it kind of goes over everything um they're not individually sent to those things any sort of other delay stuff i do have the the juno the juo6a um on the mixer i have a uh um i have a delay on that channel okay. on the mixer that so I'll kick it over yeah uh that um delay and reverb are also midi synced to the tempo of everything so um so yeah they are just on the master channel and like it's, i kind of specifically use it this way so i can have everything kind of running into the mixer and then just inserting before it goes out as opposed to kind of like running everything i mean you have to kind of combine it into one and put it into the into the thing yeah but yeah they're like they're just effects really okay. and i use those to perform the thing with it the the both the the delay and the reverb have these freeze buttons on them so you can like the delay will like grab a you know a quarter note section and, and repeat it and the freeze on the reverb kind of like makes this big wash so it's good for transitions and things like that um and uh yeah so let's see yeah then so that that's like kind of the basic elements of, of of the whole thing i also have a visual side of it which with electronic music in general i, I feel like it's very important to have a visual thing yeah. like because yeah who knows you're not playing guitar on stage right so um not everybody knows and everybody has kind of a different rig as far as this thing's concerned people use computers and everything too so i have a, a visual uh the iz which i don't have set up right now um and it's a podcast anyway so <laughs> but yeah um the iz is a uh it's a video synth in the element that it's a um it's it's a it, it creates visuals based off of audio input and MIDI input that I can oh, okay. program. Um, you can just run it just off audio and it looks really cool, but you can like really program the individual elements with the dig attack. It makes it nice because you can do these CC knob um, things where you're, where you're essentially like taking the knobs that are on board of the video synth and you can sequence different parameters of those knobs. So be like this knob needs to be this turn at this portion and blah, blah, blah. Um, and 
that uh you know creating color changes creating like animations on that whole thing and then um, i kind of like expanded from there into doing like some camera inputs and some uh video feedback things on another raspberry pi but yeah the the iz is just basically like a little python it's like a raspberry pi inside of a inside of a device that has a python code on it and um and just kind of like makes these little animations for you um and yeah it takes like some the audio input can you know make these waveforms do things and and all that kind of stuff so Rad. Yeah. Um. I, so I have four. I have four of these MIDI tracks that are programmed into that IZ. Um. So a lot of them are doing LFOs, which are basically just like slowly turning knobs. Um. Yeah. And and they're like yeah, attached to certain knobs, color knobs, or or different parameters of those kind of things. And uh. And so four of the MIDI tracks are kind of on there. I have two blank MIDI tracks, and I'm probably going to use those to program the uh, the video feedback thing that I have. It's called the video waves with three A's. <laughs> Andre J but yeah this stuff is all open source all the video side of things is like an open source projects and stuff like that too so they're really fun kind of to, to get into but but yeah as far as just the music is concerned the two samplers um have these patterns that I've programmed in I kind of have them like two of each song to some extent and um I'll just switch through them as I'm performing where I will kind of just start with certain elements on and off. A lot of times it's just, uh, you know, like I'll start with a, uh, just the synth. So like, yeah, you, you know, as far as what is on um, the devices, like they, they kind of, the patterns match up with each other. So then I will, I will like move my way through the patterns and some of the drum stuff from the model samples can go over other things. I have most of the BPMs are like pretty much the same, in, at least in this set it's all kind of like in a 120 range. Um, okay. So then uh, kind of mix and match some of the patterns in and out of things. Um, but they are, uh, they're essentially like designed to work together. And then I will turn on and off different samples and then kind of, you know, twist the knobs of the synth as it's going along. Um, but yeah, I can play you something here. So, um, so this will just be, this is just the, just the polysynth here, the the Roland JU06A, and and um, a lot of times what I'll do with this guy is like it has the chords that are being played, and um, and then I can you know mess with the frequency, and sometimes I'll even uh, do an arpeggiator. Let me actually. crank it down just a little bit okay cool this thing can get real loud um <laughs> but yeah it's uh it has an arpeggiator on there okay and uh so a lot of time i'll just i'll like have some sort of arpeggiator thing going on this one is definitely more heavily uh, you know the kind of chord elements are on there but it's just something to kind of change it up with and then the bass kind of has this Um, okay, so yeah, so it's it's all playing there. Everything's synced in here, and it's all kind of starting. And, and uh, a lot of the times, I'll like have you know just like some delay and reverb. So you just kind of know like where your starting point's going to be, and then yeah. the improv generally kind of comes from from that of like 
you probably never twisted the knob exactly like that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's like, and, and sometimes it's like, yeah, what part comes in and out as it, as it's going. Um, and so, yeah, the, uh, the, I think that the, yeah, the improv element is definitely like, yeah, whether, whether or not this one's doing arpeggiator, this one's doing this or that, or there's some sort of drums, uh, from, you know, one sampler or, or something else. Um, but the, uh, you know, I, I'll start bringing in elements of the drum stuff um, into there. And so that's like one of the dig attack things. I also have a delay on too, so kind of create a different element as it's going on there. And let's see if we can get back to the top of it. There it is. That's the beginning of it. So, um, you know, this is like later on in the set um, that I'll have this kind of this song going. But the, uh, you know, as the can use the bass synth to kind of like bring in more builds of that kind of elements and, and that kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, there's just other synth elements, other sounds kind of on these uh, on these samplers never-ending possibilities exactly and so just keeps kind of going you know and building those things up building those elements that kind of keep going and um yeah this song kind of has you know different patterns involved with it so real heavy on the <laughs> try to peek out on your on your picture here. Oh you're good. But yeah, the uh, so that's kind of there's different um you know potential for different sounds. Yeah and man. Then have different like uh you know bass lines programmed into other channels and stuff. Going on, so that's where the kind of uh, element of improv comes in, I guess. Is like where do those elements come back and forth, right? And, and trying to uh, you know do something that's interesting. Yeah, man, I appreciate you like yeah. just walking, walking me through it, just because. I don't know, dude. I think people are so fucking ignorant about electronic <laughs> music and what they think yeah. is happening and creating this music sometimes. Yeah. And it's so much more complicated and so much more thought gets put into it most of the time yeah. than I think people And sometimes think. people are like doing it on a laptop and they're like, you know, it's a guy just checking his email, you know, just hitting play on the song yeah. or something. And I like the element, like the tactile element of stuff. And like, you know, this model samples has a whole bunch of knobs on it and you can kind of like you know change the pitch of Hell things yeah. and like you know if I wanted to just like make these you know, big uh, you know you can just change up so many elements of that like along the whole thing and, you know, the, and then just kind of go back to whatever the original one is and uh 
yeah, it's just like fun to kind of just like keep figuring out where it goes uh, for me. I, that's, that's just what I like about it too. And then, you know, different things can kind of come and go as I'm like transitioning songs. A lot of time what I'll do is like freeze a bit of the, like a piece of something. like reverb thing that'll kind of wash everything wash out, out yeah. yeah and then you kind of just like bring in new things or whatever yeah that's cool like, man yeah i'm stoked on what you're doing it's it's fun to get to see it happen live yeah and so yeah that's like uh, it's, it's what i really i like about doing that kind of side of the performance of it because it's like you know it can be different every time there's so, there's stuff that's in there it's obviously the same but and are you usually like recording your set too if you're yeah, if I you're try, I try to do them all yeah, yeah. I, I, I like i'll yeah plug in a little zoom or something uh, so i have them all recorded i think the only i've lost one of them but somebody else was recording it um anyway so that was well great. yeah i'll definitely put all the links in the episode notes so people can keep up with what you're doing i'll put that soundcloud link in there yeah please too, yeah that so. was a, a german uh podcast guys that uh, got in touch with me about doing that one so that's rad yeah those guys are, are really cool big supporters of mine uh yeah they have a, a cool little like jam podcast thing and i just did that whole yeah it's like a long mix for them but yeah no there's those uh the twitch videos and all the stuff that you're usually posting up on instagram the, the clips and yes whatnot, so instagram is definitely probably the place that i'm most active uh but i'm trying to get back into the twitch thing i got a new little setup and there's definitely some youtube video stuff that i'm working on too as far as like tutorials and using midi and creative ways for visual side of things and stuff too so hell yeah dude well like i said i'll put all the links for yeah. those things so people can keep up with you and before i have you uh play it out play out the episode with some sure some jams here on this thing all uh right. do you want to do you, you want to sail it out with the uh the tagline for the show this is how we end every episode of the okay. podcast is the guessing the tagline for the show which is it's a program it's a program you're already doing it. I'm doing it. You All did right. it already. It's a program. That's a great. Uh, it's a great closer. That's Colin, brother yeah. versus robot. Thank you. Thanks, Keep Dan. up with this dude is doing. Enjoyed our chat, man. That yeah, was man. that was very fun. Yeah. Thanks for taking me through your your beginnings and Ooh, all the band stuff. I I just love how far you, like I obviously love all that music that we were talking about previously, yeah. but I just love how far you are from yeah. from that. <laughs> how far it's because that's like. Just like we were talking about earlier, too. I think that's like what builds sustainability within a career down this path or just wanting to keep making art is just like continuing to find new ways to do it. Yeah. Big so. time. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate your uh, your support and uh, everything that you do for the music community here in, uh, in Portland and everything, too. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, man. September 19th, you can see... Uh, Yes. brother vs robot at produce row and uh you can check out his his other dates as well yeah we have more hopefully coming we'll see how uh the world is but uh <laughs> yes. but yeah it'd be great uh do, do like a two-hour set at uh produce row yeah it's gonna be rad so, yeah it'll be a special set there'll be lots of cool stuff going on for that very cool man well i appreciate you and uh play us out with some jams all man. right all right let's see what we got here all right it's a program it's a program. Thanks, Dan. That's the Jelly Jams, and we will catch you on the flip side, Flipping Portland, or wherever you Portland. are listening 
drum. want to give a big shout out to distro kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast can't say thank you enough to distro kid for their support of this thing and make sure you go into the episode notes and find that distro kid link to receive 30 percent off your first year of membership with distro kid making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you so make sure you take advantage of that and the link is also in uh, the link in my instagram bio on the link tree so you can find it there as well big thanks to distro kid stay up stay tuned <laughs>